Cardinal Joseph Nighty Night Baby Tobin is one of those bishops who permits the most atrocious activities in his diocese, even when he's been alerted to them. But he's also one of the most forgetful men in history. For several years, when he served under former Cardinal McCarrick, he was Uncle Ted's roommate, and he says he had no idea of McCarrick's proclivities. I'm really not sure how that's possible, given that people who share a living space become aware of the other's sexual activity and taste. It's an unfortunate consequence of being roommates. But Cardinal Tobin somehow pulled off that feat, probably due to clinical short memory loss. It's really the only thing I can think of to explain how he was able to forget all the rumors and bizarre activity surrounding his very good friend and Bernadine protege, Ted McCarrick. But this video isn't about Tobin, not exactly anyway, it's about the first deadly sin, Pride, and now and how it's been finished its month of celebration. In Hoboken, New Jersey, at a parish under Tobin's authority as bishop, a priest celebrated, and I use that term on purpose, the end of First Deadly Sin Month, which finishes with a global celebration of degeneracy, with a saying of the Mass. Now that sounds like it'd be fine, except he was actually celebrating the First Deadly Sin, and he was celebrating sodomy. Tobin was alerted to this open display of heterodoxy days in advance, and he did nothing. Nothing at all. Why? Well, I mean, obviously, because he approves. I'm sure the Italian beefcake model he housed in his rectory for two weeks can testify to that. What's the story here? On Sunday, June 30th, Catholics gathered outside of Our Lady of Grace Parish in Hoboken, New Jersey, to, pro to protest the first deadly sin mass that was being said by one Father Alexander Santora, the parish pastor. Father Santora advertised the mass in a secular journal and in an acronym magazine ahead of time. One Catholic protesting the mass outside was unable to get a head count of those attending because people kept coming and going during the mass and were described as being dressed in a beastly manner, in the words of the protester. Charming, right? You'll see on Catholic social media circles a lot of debate about modesty of dress these days and our responsibility to others when it comes to our own personal modesty, and those debates can get heated. But I'd hope there can be broad agreement that first deadly sin parade attire isn't even remotely appropriate for mass or for being worn by anybody, really. Even the more supposedly modest dress you might see at one of those parades that lead to hell. Father Santora wrote an article in an acronym magazine to advertise the mass, because as you and I know, the mass needs to be advertised like a country fair. I'm going to quote the article at length here, because it needs to get into the minds of people who would desecrate the mass and the Eucharist in this way. Quoting that article, The Catholic Church holds up the dignity of the acronym people while condemning homosexual genital activity. Surveys reveal that most Catholics support changes in church teaching, but there is far, more, far from even consensus on ethical issues. Pope Francis seemed to shift the tone back in 2013 when he, asked about, when he was asked about this by a reporter and responded, Who am I to judge? Interviewing Pope Francis, Italian journalist Andrea Tornielli asked how he might act as a confessor to a gay person in light of his now famous remarks. Francis responded pastorally. In his book, The Name of God is Mercy, referring to his now classic statement, Francis said, I was paraphrasing by heart the catechism of the Catholic Church, where it says that these people should be treated with delicacy and not be marginalized. He then makes an important distinction, and people should not be defined only by their sexual tendencies. Let us not forget that God loves all his creatures, and we are destined to receive his infinite love. For me, this is the heart of a Catholic pride. Accept acronym people as individual people with the full range of emotions and feelings. End quote. 
And that's all well and good, I guess. Well, not really. But for the sake of the argument, let's accept uncritically the ambiguity of the statement he made. The problem is that those living that lifestyle are in a state of mortal sin, the same as anyone else who lives in adultery, but actually worse because sodomy is a sin that cries out to heaven for vengeance. Think about the implications of this mass critically. There are men and women who are in a state of mortal sin, deeply enslaved by their passions, receiving the body and blood of Christ unworthily. 1 Corinthians 11.27 spells this out for us. From the douay Rams version, which is the best, language by, best lang English language Bible you can get, quote, Therefore, whoever shall eat this bread or drink the chalice of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. End quote. Guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. What does that mean? It means receiving the Eucharist unworthily is a sacrilege. It means that when you receive in a state of mortal sin, you compound your sins. Think about that in the case of this Mass, said by someone who may very well be a homo heretic, and by that I mean someone who rejects the Church's timeless moral teachings on the subject, and has instead adopted the heresy of born this way, to put it mildly. By giving all those people the Eucharist, this priest is complicit in their sins. He is complicit in that many of them may end up in hell, because at least in part of his actions. Also think about those words of St. Paul the next time you see long lines for communion, but empty or short lines for confession at your parish. Though don't apply that to any single person, obviously. But notice something here. The priest said that there's a lack of consensus on moral issues in the church. I mean, that's true, but who cares? The church isn't a democracy, regardless of how much these fruitcakes want it to be a democratic institution. But by even saying something as abysmal as, there's no consensus on moral issues, he reinforces the lie of personal conscience over overriding church teaching on moral issues. These types always say that our individual consciences must be our guide, even when it brushes up against something the church is saying at a given time. The issue here is that the church says that it is only the case, really, when you have a well-formed conscience. And it doesn't apply to timeless teachings like sexual morality. But sexual morality is the only thing these people want it to apply to. Imagine my personal conscience argument applying to just war theory, with a Catholic leader deciding to use chemical weapons on a civilian population because of his personal conscience, and you get the idea of the absurdity of this normalization of moral relativism. Father Santoro goes on to respond to people like us by saying that dogma shouldn't be used like a hammer. He sings the praises of Francis and his reorganization of the Curia to better enable the church to go to, quote, where the people are, end quote. I mean, what does that all even mean? Does that mean mercy on earth trumps the justice of God? That is clearly spoken of in scripture and tradition. This cult of mercy is extraordinarily dangerous, and the rise of this cult in the past few years explains a great deal about the church's loss of moral authority in the world. It's the cult of mercy that is at least partially responsible for the refusal by non-homo heretic bishops to do a thing about the sexual degenerates in the priesthood. It's the cult of mercy that explains why the Lavender Mafia were able to get as much power as they did in the church in the first place, before they then used that power to choke off dissent. It's this cult of mercy tied to both inaction and obvious perversion among our shepherds that has left the church impotent and even complicit in the rising tide of degeneracy in the world. And when I say the church, I mean the institution, not the mystical body of Christ, who seems to be a prisoner to these maniacs. Don't get confused by my angry words on this matter. Instead of just angrily reporting on this mess, there is something you can do. The American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property asks the laity to make reparation for this first deadly sin mass of sacrilege, which is my way of characterizing it, not theirs. 
TFP is asking that the faithful make reparation, and the best way to do that is with prayer and fasting. Are you able to join? For those too old or too young to safely fast from food, abstaining from other things can be done as a substitute, although they need to be of proper gravity, or offering more prayers and time in front of the Blessed Sacrament, which is all too often left alone by us who can't even spend an hour with our Eucharistic Lord. And I'm guilty of that as well. And now seems like a good time to rectify that. Offer an additional rosary each day. And if you're not praying your rosary daily, start today. This Mass was a mockery of the moral doctrines and dogmas of the faith. And frankly, I'm certain that many of those who attended because of the advertising of the Mass knew as much. After all, why go in and out during the Mass? Why treat it as if it's a mere curiosity? No, reparation is needed, and prayers for the conversion of Cardinal Tobin and Father Santora are desperately needed at this time. Our Lord won't let this mockery continue forever. So offer prayers of reparation and prayers for their conversion, and if you can, fast. It is the most efficacious way, as, our Lord, as said by our Lord during the exorcism described in the Gospels. And if there was ever demonic influence in anything today, this would be it. Thank you for listening. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.